0: You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas That's right, you're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast I'm Chad Dundas, that's Ben Folks. We're both senior writers in MMA for the Athletic we meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy, and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, how are you doing this week? Well,
1: I did not go on an ill-fated road trip during the course of which my van was towed, so I guess I'm doing a little better than you are.
0: I don't know that I would fully call it ill-fated, though. I guess it's accurate to say we got off to a rocky start.
1: How... Did you manage to get your van towed? Your precious, precious van, Chad. See the lifeblood of your family.
0: What had happened was
1: okay. All right, good, good.
0: So our first night, we pull into Portland, Oregon, where my brother and his family live, and uh, we're staying at a VRBO in Northwest Portland, trendy ass Northwest Portland. Okay, which was filthy, by the way, one of the worst VRBOs I've ever stayed in. Uh, are you? Do you have something against Airbnb? No, I think this was an Airbnb. I just said the RBO out of habit. Wow. That
1: is some old man shit to do, but go ahead.
0: I mean, my wife handles the bookings. Okay, all right.
1: Probably best for everybody. Yeah,
0: I think so, too. Uh, It's dark when we we parked out in front of the Airbnb and then uh, went in, spent a ridiculously uncomfortable night in a filthy apartment. Okay. Got up the next morning, checked out front, van gone. Only then, Ben, did I notice... Not really all that obtrusively posted were some signs warning us that we were parked or that we shouldn't park anywhere on this block because it was a leaf collection zone. Fall leaf collection by the city of Portland. And Uh, if you
1: get in the way of that, God help you.
0: Well, the thing is, like, they towed us early because I was out there by nine. They had already towed us as I was wandering the streets aimlessly, you know, shouting for help. I noticed they had, like, three separate private tow truck companies just out towing the shit out of tens and tens of cars. Like,
1: they'd just been waiting for this.
0: They wish a motherfucker would park in the
1: Leaf Collection Zone, Chad.
0: And apparently a lot of motherfuckers, myself included, did. So I had to call... Out of town up. rubes? Yeah. <laughs> like you? Big time. I had to call up my brother. We had to drive out to a... Uh, sketchy-ass tow lot. Oh, as opposed to the really nice, like... This one was sketchy up up even tow by tow lot standards. <laughs> I would I would hesitate to even call it a lot. Okay. It was more like a wedge-shaped area at the side of the road, which someone had built, you know, a chain-link fence with razor wire on top of it around. Uh, there was a woman working there in, like, one of those uh, sheds that you can build to put in your backyard. Like okay. a, a mobile shed kind of thing. Woman, lone woman sitting in there working, just uh smelling like marijuana. Thick was the scent okay. of marijuana when I arrived at the tow lot. Well, look, man, if I have
1: to work at the sketchy-ass tow lot, I'm going to want to be high, too.
0: Fair enough. Uh $300 later. In fact, I'm glad we're having this conversation, Ben, because I have, as of yet, neglected to pay my $85 parking ticket. To the city of Portland.
1: So you get towed and you get a parking
0: ticket. Big time. So you pay 220 bucks to get your car out of the sketchy-ass tow lot. Okay. And I received a discount for arriving early, BT-dubs. If I had not arrived before 1 p.m., it would have been like $350. Are just to su- let you know what kind of operation we're are, running. How are you supposed to know that? Well, you got to call. Okay. you got to make numerous calls around the city of Portland until you locate your van.
1: So that's to... Uh... Reward upstanding citizens like you who need to go get your van right away and to penalize the slackers who are like, You towed my car? i get around to getting it.
0: Exactly. Yes. Uh, you know, they, they came out, they freed my car from the lot, and uh, we went about our merry way. And I will say, the vacation really picked up from there. That was rock bottom. That was the black moment. Of I can see the, of the vacation. could see how that would
1: probably be a low moment for you.
0: But, you know, got the van back now. Back, I saw it. Back in my possession. I saw
1: it right there. Um, well, we were off last week due to this Thanksgiving madness. Mm-hmm. Now we're back.
0: We're back on our bullshit.
1: Yeah. Um, I have some exciting news, Chad.
0: Now what could that possibly be?
1: Well, I'm sure no doubt by now you've realized that we are in the month of December. I had heard that, yes. Uh, December just happens to be co-main event Patreon Pledge Drive Month. Hmm? Don't? See, don't make that face. This is a completely real above-board thing. I know that because I personally made it up just now. Because uh, you know, like, you, you listen to public radio, listen to the NPR, you know the thing they do. Like, when it's pledge drive time, where they'll just be really annoying about it and just bring it up several times a day, extended interruptions in the, pro- the whole broadcast, whether or not you're already... Uh, a supporter all just to remind you that the programming you're listening to that they are then interrupting is only possible with the support of listeners like you because that's what we're going to do except i found a way for us to be both less and more annoying oh good yeah see all this month i will be reminding our listeners that the cme can you know honestly only maintain this frankly ridiculous pace and consistent quality with direct financial support that we receive from our beloved Patreons, our Patreon patrons over on patreon.com slash co-main event. That's how we keep the show free of ads or corporate sponsors or, you know, really any oversight at all that might fetter this here discourse. And instead, instead of me just repeating over and over that same basic line, uh, like the way they do on NPR, I'm going to resort to a tried and true method that we have used in the past. Do you remember how for a while I would read us off a quote from Channing Tatum's IMDb page?
0: I, every time I close my eyes, I see it on the back of my eyelids. Yeah, yes. I
1: still think of some of them. I'm haunted by it. The thing he said about Justin Bieber and fame. still think about that one a lot. But this time, Jad, this time we're going to do it where every show we do in the month of December, uh-huh. in order to remind people, they're going to hear this quote and they're going to think, oh... If I'm not already a Patreon supporter, I should get over there and support the good dudes doing good work the Come In Event Podcast. And if I am a supporter, I should maybe think about up into the next tier. They're going to think about that when they hear an actual real quote that I read from the master wordsmith himself, Jacob Christopher Tito Ortiz. Oh boy. Yeah. So every show we do in December, I'm going to read a Tito Ortiz quote. And when the people hear it, That's going to trigger them in their brains, their mind brains, to go, "Oh, I need to support these guys."
0: (laughs) Well, is there an out clause here? If we get to uh, you know uh, a whole month, eleven hundred Patreon subscribers, can we call this off? No, we cannot. So this is—you've hit the self-destruct button. This is—we're locked in here. Are you ready for the first quote? Mutually assured destruction.
1: Right here on my phone. All right. (laughs) Quote. God put me on this earth to be a tool.
0: <laughs> Is that it? That's, That's it. The That's the oh, whole God. quote. Did you take that out of context? Does it matter? I mean, does it go on after that? Like what kind of tool Ortiz I will believes not, himself to be? I will
1: be? not be answering any follow-up questions at this time. However, okay. I did come up. You're right that it's kind of unfair to just say no matter how much people support us, I'm still going to read the Tito Ortiz quotes. So I thought of something else. You know how we do the CME Movie Club for we're our top tier patrons? We're doing one this week. Glengarry Glen Ross. Yeah. Again, beat out my choice. And I guess we're just never going to watch the the beautiful cowboy movie that I want to watch. That's fine.
0: I think the universe is trying to tell you something. Fine. Vis-a-vis Tender Mercies. Fine.
1: Every, no one wants to enjoy beautiful art. That's their business. We'll be watching Glengarry Glen Ross talking about this week for our top tier patrons. Is that, hold? Wait. Is that three in a row for me? I don't know. I don't need to keep track. It's not a. It's not a contest. Oh, okay,
0: yeah. When you are losing, it's not a contest. The point is, I think that's three in a row for me.
1: The point is, Chad. As we are both aware, and we're kind of excited about The Irishman, out on Netflix.
0: Martin Scorsese.
1: Martin Scorsese joined The Irishman. I am going to say this: we don't even need people to be in the top tier for this one. If we get fifty new. $5 $5 patrons. And that's not, I mean, new. Like, you can go up from 1 to 5. If you go down from 10 to 5, that didn't count. No, we're not doing that. Or you can go from, you're not a patron at all, and you want to do $5 a month. 50 new $5 a month. And we will release our Irishman podcast where we just talk about the new Martin Scorsese joint with everybody's faces all CGI to make them look young and shit. All, I, got, I got tons of opinions about this thing. I watched it over the Thanksgiving break in several installments. I'm dying to talk about it. 50 new $5 patrons. That means if you're listening to the sound of my voice right now, you have enjoyed this podcast in the past, $5 a month, not even really money, you know, you you could lose that much falling out of your pockets and change and not really be hurting for it. $5 a month works out to, you know, a buck and change per week. You get on board. Patreon.com slash co-main event. You support these hard-working dudes and help Chad get back some of the money he had to spend <laughs> to get his band back. And we will release that Irishman podcast for everybody to enjoy.
0: Plus, if you're a $5 patron, you get access to the Friday Power Hour.
1: That's right. whole an different en- podcast. You an entire
0: extra me. hour-long MMA podcast featuring you and me that comes out every Friday. Featuring the co-main event podcast, Patreon Power Hour power rankings
1: most powerful segment in all of broadcast history
0: so every time you hear a quote from jacob christopher tito ortiz this month you'll know it's time to get online and sign up for the co-main event podcast patreon did you want to hear the quote again no i got it i'm good
1: god put me on this earth to be a tool
0: (laughs) oh did you see the one today
1: yeah yes i did
0: i get younger as i age
1: Mm Hmm. yeah He's got a paper for you to sell, so he's going to be trotting out the good stuff now.
0: Ben, they sent me a shitload of copies of the new paperback of Champion of the World.
1: Whoa, what's a shitload?
0: Like a lot. I have a lot. Two big-ass boxes full.
1: Okay, well, if there's anything the CME's good at, it's shipping stuff to people.
0: So you know what I'm going to do? What are you going to do? I'm going to give a bunch of them away right now through the Co-Main Event Podcast. Here's how we're going to do this. The first 20 people to email me a screenshot of a new pre-order for The Blaze, which comes out January 21st. A new pre-order dated today, December 2nd, or later. The first 20 people to do that, I will send you a copy of the new paperback of Champion of the World. I will even autograph that fucker for you. And my solemn pledge to you, I'm not going to folks this. If you qualify and win A paperback copy of Champion of the World, I'll mail it out within 48 hours.
1: Okay. My solemn pledge is that I will assist with this not at all.
0: No, I know that. I'm on my own here.
1: Also, uh, if I
0: wanted you to help, I would say we will mail it out within 12 to 24 months.
1: Uh, What if they'd prefer to have you give them Tom Selleck's autograph?
0: I will sign whatever name they want me to sign on there forge whoever and
1: tv legend
0: tom Seller. i will forge Mr. any Baseball. motherfucker's name on these books okay so here's what it That's is a promise the email as many of you know co-main event podcast at gmail.com send me a screenshot of a new pre-order of the blaze if you are one of the first 20 people to do that i will send you a paperback copy of champion of the world with my or someone else's autograph on there
1: Man, it'd be sweet to get Tom Selleck's autograph on that book, I'm just saying.
0: Starting now. Go do it. We got to get to this, man. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. Hold on, we got music. We got music from our guy, Simeo, music producer from Stockholm, Sweden. He's Co-Main Event Podcast listener Alfred Larson. Uh, if you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash that's S-E-E-M-I-O, Simeo. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the Co Main Event Podcast. In round number one, Connor back. Oh, Connor boy. back, guys. Connor back. But why now? And why Donald the Cowboy Cerrone? And in round number two, Habib versus Tony back. Habib versus Tony back on, guys. Do we dare even speak this event's name? You for know, fear of what might happen.
1: It's overly ambitious to think that we're going to make it all the way to April pretending like this shit
0: ain't happening. Habib versus Tony back again. And in round number three, it's Alistair Overeem versus Nair Rosenstruck. Nailed it. There's in absolutely no way that I nailed it. Uh, But we're going to be talking about that in, in round three. So stay tuned for that. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Roy Wayne Ferris, a.k.a. the Honky Tonk Man.
1: Honky Tonk Man. Good to hear from him.
0: As this decade winds down, what significant changes do you see occurring in MMA during the 2020s? Also, what event happening that occurred in the 2010s would you take back in an effort to improve the overall health of the sport?
1: The overall health of the sport. Now, that's an interesting phrase. Mm -hmm. It's a phrase that feels like it's open to interpretation.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think we're free to make what we will of these questions. I
1: feel like Honky Talk Man is trying to bait us into saying USADA.
0: Really? Yeah. Okay. You you think because of the phrase overall health?
1: Yeah, let's make sure we never forget ever to
0: just mute that. Nobody ever texts me until we start recording.
1: (laughs) I'm the only person who texts you, and I'm sitting right here.
0: Just to give you an idea, that is the mother of one of my daughter's friends texting me at this moment. Sure. So, that's how random this shit is. The overall health of the sport, I mean...
1: Do I think Usada has had a positive impact on doping in MMA?
0: Yes. I, I, think, I f- think you are just you were way out on a limb here. I think there's probably fewer people doping
1: in M or in the UFC at least because of Usada being around. We caught some of them who were JPDM. However, is it worth the price that we've paid with a bunch of contaminated supplements and people having their careers messed with and their names drugged through the dirt, and then the other people where we thought maybe they were JPDN, and then you thought it was like, oh no, maybe they're not, and just the the ambiguity, the cloud of ambiguity that it has dropped over the UFC where it maybe has made people more inclined to just be like, fuck it, I don't know. I'd I'd rather not
0: have to have the conversation over
1: and over again endlessly.
0: Uh, I mean, one thing that the introduction of USADA and the UFC's advanced drug testing for sure has taught, at least taught me, is that this shit is a lot more complicated than we think it is. It's a lot like trying to fix weight cutting, you know? It's a lot like, frankly, trying to fix any problem in any, you know, large organization, edifice, sport, whatever it is. You think it's going to be simple, and then you come in with your simple ideas, and it turns out this shit is actually a lot more complicated than, than we think it is. I mean, that's what we have learned over time here with the introduction of USADA and enhanced drug testing by the UFC. So are you saying, in answer to the honky-tonk man's question, that you would roll back enhanced drug testing? No,
1: I wouldn't, because I remember what it was like before, and it's kind of ridiculous when... Some of the state athletic commissions are doing a halfway decent job. Others are barely doing it at all. Everybody can kind of look at the calendar, know when they're going to be tested and the people who can afford it are going to be getting away with it more than the other people who can't. And also the UFC, when it goes and feels the pressure to to do some testing, like when it did uh, the HGH thing with Kung Lee and was completely incompetent in having it done. And so, that seemed worse to me than every, anything you saw it as I would think maybe, honestly, my answer. Maybe it would be the Reebok deal. Hmm. Okay. If fighters still could do sponsors. I'm not even totally sure I believe it. But I do think that they were better off when the fighters could make some money from sponsors. I mean, think about, especially some of the people who have gotten to be, you know, not even big stars necessarily. But like risen to a sudden kind of prominence after one or two performances. Somebody like Derek Lewis or something. Imagine how many tens of thousands of dollars per fight he's losing out on by not being able to sell sponsorships.
0: Yeah. No, I they, I mean, there's a lot of people. I, I, you could make the argument everyone in the UFC is probably making less money uh, because of that, especially... Except for the UFC itself. Right. You talk about, you know, he's not in the UFC anymore, but obviously Demetrius Johnson had, what was it, Xbox yeah. sponsorship... Cowboy Cerrone, obviously with his Budweiser sponsorship, probably still makes some money from that, but I don't know what the what the financials are. It seems like
1: he's it, also on that P3. Oh yeah, he's getting the P3, getting that P3. Gotta get his protein in.
0: Uh, I'm gonna say 2010s force. We've we've talked about it at length on the podcast before. I like to imagine a different world where the UFC doesn't swoop in. And by Strike force, right before the UFC itself left Spike TV and transitioned over to Fox Sports, if Strike Force is still alive and not in the hands of ZuFA LLC, when that happens, I think you probably have an MMA world where Strike Force jumps onto Spike TV, and then who knows where we would be. We might have a completely different landscape of American mixed martial arts. If I mean, that would
1: Bellator Delator might be fucked. Uh, yeah I don't even know that about Scotty Cox at the wheel,
0: yeah, I don't even know what bellator you know Bellator might still be on uh desportes or wherever it started out e s p n
1: deportes yeah also though would we sit around being like, man, if only we could see Daniel cormier strike force champion against john jones u f c j we'll never see it they're in different organizations and they're always moving. Oh man, but if only
0: Sure, it would cause some some disappointments, maybe some headaches for fans, but just in terms of overall health of the sport, I think competition we have learned, especially significant competition, just makes the makes the sport better. Yeah. What about the 2020s? What's gonna happen in the next ten years? We're all gonna die. Okay, that's bleak. Yeah.
1: The earth will become a flaming hellscape. And uh USADA and Reebok be the least of our concerns.
0: Indeed. Wow. Okay. I, for one, look forward to fiery death. You just bummed me out. Yeah. I mean, we've already seen one thing happen in the last, let's say, 10 years. You've seen the rise of athletes in mixed martial arts that have trained in MMA their entire lives, right? Previous to this current generation, this current wave of fighters, you had people that primarily started out in one discipline had that discipline run its course for them and then transitioned in some way over to mixed martial arts. Wrestlers who then supplemented a striking game, strikers who supplemented a wrestling game, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, uh, Someone who had to come in, fill in a submission game, or a submission grappler who had to fill in their striking, whatever. Now we see these athletes who have essentially been training in mixed martial arts, cross-training, if you will, sir, uh, the last 10 years. I think another 10 years, assuming that we all don't die amid a fiery hillscape, over the next decade, uh, might well change the action that we see in the cage to, you know, unforeseeable levels. I mean, think about what we already have. We have guys like Conor McGregor and Stephen Thompson and uh, Israel Adesanya, guys who who are specializing in techniques that that at the rise of mixed martial arts we at one time had left for dead. We thought this shit doesn't work. What you need to be is a wrestler who likes to headbutt people or whatever. Now we see, you know. I still think that could work. Well, you and Mark Coleman. Yeah. Man would be undefeated. Headbutts were still around in the octagon. We'd be talking about uh, will strike force champ Daniel Cormier ever, ever come over to fight undefeated 50 year old UFC champion Mark Coleman? <laughs> uh, I think you're going to see just further exponential evolution of what the action of mixed martial arts looks like.
1: Alright, piggybacking off of that, I will say the biggest change in the 2020s will be, uh, we'll have to figure out new rules to deal with mutations. Genetic mutations that will begin to make themselves known as the Earth changes into a fiery hellscape. And, I don't know, can we let a person compete if they have mind control powers? What about someone who can levitate? Is that is that cool? I'm worried about that? you.
0: I'm worried about you. It seems like you. What have you been reading? Are you uh, you reading some dystopian shit right now? It seems like you've got a one track mind. Listen, here. To, listen to a lot you're, of Joe you're, Rogan you're, over <laughs> the break.
1: Listen to a lot of Rogan. Yeah,
0: you're thinking about drug testing. Uh, I get. I'm getting Eddie Bravo's the, newsletter. The end and, of the uh, world. Does Eddie Bravo stuff, have a newsletter?
1: I assume Substack. I assume he has a newsletter. If he doesn't, what the hell?
0: Next question this week comes to us from Nick Jolly, who writes Okay, the ESPN era is approaching the one year mark. In Australia, it's meant very little change, as we don't have ESPN Plus here, so each card is covered from prelims to main on ESP one, ESPN 1 or 2 live, excluding one Friday night card and a couple of European cards, which coincided with the major sports. Lots of questions to ask, but I'll stick to two. Sorry, three. Okay.
1: <laughs> First. I this is going to be manageable, but all
0: right. Firstly, those fighters you've spoken to on the online on the online cards are they happy in getting paid? I mean, generally people are getting paid the same as they as they were before. I think if there's anything that has changed, there was the question of whether or not moving the UFC pay-per-views behind the ESPN Plus paywall would lower buy rates and there and therefore become less lucrative for the main event fighters who are getting a share of overall pay-per-view buys right and that still could be the case we don't have a tremendous amount of data on that right now but i think we will start to get some i would think over the next year or two because if if you are a manager of a fighter who gets paid that way or you are a fighter who gets paid that way and those payouts start going down chances are you're going to talk about it
1: yeah Well, and that's still one of the things that makes it harder to get data about is that it's still relatively few people who even get that percentage in the first place. So I think you need more time and examples before you really get a full picture of it. But honestly, I think that a lot of those people are looking at their pay-per-view payouts and not feeling like it's like the end of the world or... drastic difference in what they're getting paid
0: we certainly haven't seen a lot of fallout from it no. publicly at, at at this point okay secondly writes nick jolly the subscriber number estimates vary but it seems they they are nowhere near break even what does this mean for the future rights issues and coverage uh i feel like this is the la- latest subscriber numbers that we got from espn plus were actually pretty good yeah and and it's only going to go up now that uh you know, they've bundled that shit with Disney Plus and Hulu. Yeah. So, like, basically, you can swoop in at this point. I pay, what is it, 12 bucks, And get uh, ESPN Plus, Disney Plus, and Hulu all at once, which...
1: That's honestly a good deal.
0: It is a good deal, especially if you have already uh, reconciled yourself to just... That you're going to have to have ESPN Plus anyway. For So, for, like, you and me, it's kind of a no-brainer to get that.
1: Honestly, and the ESPN Plus... Is one of the few streaming services, like newer streaming services in my life that I feel like, man, I'm very pleased with the way it works for the most part and would have it even without it having to be like a condition of my job. I use it over the break, especially when I was kind of somewhat paying attention to my children, but also wanted to seclude myself in my office and I could use my laptop and just watch a hockey game on ESPN+. Yeah. I'm still... I, I, I can't be out there in the main room with the TV because they're going to be in there making all kinds of noise and if they see me in there watching TV, then it's going to occur to them that it's possible to watch TV at this hour and then they're going to want to watch their bullshit on TV. If I can seclude myself in my office, watch it on my big monitor, uh, catch a hockey game, man, everybody's happy. And... It just works pretty well for the most part. So, uh, yeah, I, I, if I if I'm ESPN, I'm looking at where things are tracking right now and feeling pretty good about it. And because they know combat sports and the UFC in particular is a good kind of like hook to get into an audience that's already used to paying for content and that has proven that it will follow that content wherever it goes, they've made that a pretty noticeable part of ESPN plus when you log on there. So it kind of seems like it's good for both the UFC and ESPN at this point.
0: Finally, writes Nick Jolly. What do you see as the next level of MMA coverage looking like? Where do broadcast rights go from here? I mean, I think just to piggyback on what you said a second ago, I think we're going to be on ESPN plus, at least for the UFC for the foreseeable future. Now we've seen the UFC's business relationships fall apart. Over time in the past and I don't we're still relatively early in this ESPN era so anything could happen in terms of that relationship but so far it seems like this is kind of a home run deal for all of the people involved like I do think that the UFC was responsible for bringing a lot of new subscribers to ESPN plus which I think made the ESPN you know, executives happy. And I think that ESPN being able to provide the UFC with that extra uh, advertising, the extra platform, the farther reach, I think ultimately is going to prove to be pretty good for the UFC. I don't know that, you know, we're going to bring in millions and millions and millions of new fans, but at the same time, like, if you're the UFC, it's hard to think of a better broadcast partner at this point than ESPN
1: yeah and I do think that there's a real value to just being a part of a little ticker you know you're watching on a sports bar or you're watching at the gym you see the little ticker going by and the UFC gets included like it's a real sport along with everything else that helps I think over the long term as far as like what the next level of MMA coverage looks like I think it honestly ends up looking like the way general media consumption is going which is The audience probably gets smaller and more fragmented as everybody segments off into streaming services and just following the specific things they already know they like. But I don't know if that's necessarily a problem just because it seems like that's inevitable, the direction
0: that everything is headed. One thing that could happen, but I think that we are a ways off from this. Mutations. Mutations, even if uh, even if I don't don't know if it's a thing that they actually would want to do. But at some point, I suppose it would be possible for the UFC to take over its own broadcast, like to basically move everything onto fight pass and do their own thing, especially with the addition of the uh, the new arena. The hell is that thing called? The oh yeah, Apex. The Apex. You know how we heard a lot about the Apex. It was when, the future of fighting when it when it first opened. For Christ's sake, what's going on with it now? I haven't. I've I've heard Jack about the Apex. Well, Sorry, in the past. Now, okay, that's the past so, of fighting. Yeah, different future. Uh-huh. The new future is mutations. Yeah, as you said, I don't think that that's going to happen in the in the the near future. I don't think the UFC would do that. It's just making too much money, frankly, uh, from this ESPN deal. But it's kind of like the, maybe the end game phase of you know everyone kind of taking over their own streaming next question this week comes to us from andrew millington is it just me or is the ufc just plain begging for it when it comes to booking this struve rothwell fight seems like something weird or bad is bound to happen struve has slash had a serious heart condition that wisely made him retire and i don't think there's a reputable athletic commission in D.C. to protect him from himself. Last time they were there, poor Charlie Brenneman was sanctioned to be executed by Rumble Johnson. Is this fight between two guys at different spots in a house of mirrors a big enough draw to be worth risking a pasty Kimbo versus Dada do-over? Discourse, if you would, please. So, uh, yeah, you get to heavyweight scrap between Stefan Struve and Ben Rothwell on the main card. Of UFC on ESPN 7 this Saturday at Capital One Arena over there in Washington, D.C.
1: Now, Stefan Struve kind of retired last time, right?
0: We're at and least one retirement deep in this in the career of still only 31-year-old Stefan Struve.
1: I I think he he phrased it pretty honestly where he said something like there's a 90-something percent chance that this is the last one. Because he got a, a submission win in the last one. Uh, That was in February and had that speech when it was like, you know, a good high watermark kind of thing. Like a, a good positive moment to go out on. And he seemed to realize that, but he also seemed to know that MMA retirements are a thing. And he didn't want to get our hopes up that this was absolutely the last time. And now here he is back against Ben Rothwell. And uh, I think our guy Andrew Millington might be onto something here. There is a high, high potential for weirdness here,
0: just That's true. in several different ways. I mean, you, the heavyweight division, on its default setting, is has contains a high probability for weirdness. You throw out the dark wizard Ben Rothwell and the skyscraper Stefan Struve. I agree with you. Don't blink in this fight. Either somebody gets knocked out or uh Rothwell throws a weird powder down on the on the canvas, and Struve just turns to dust. What do you think
1: you we could be looking at a smoke bomb escape type situation mm-hmm. I think it's if, in a dicey spot smoke bomb and next thing you know uh you're look you you thought you had Rothwell and a kimura and then he's up in the upper deck laughing maniacally mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that could happen or. Ben Rothwell could land one big punch and we could be reminded of Stefan Struve getting knocked out looks like a, a giraffe having a stroke. Or we could all just be like, oh yeah, hey, this is just a heavyweight backup for the main event, seemingly.
0: Next question this week comes to us from Mark in Alabama who writes, hello, gentlemen. In a few days, I will be headed to UFC 245, my first UFC event and first trip to Vegas. Uh, oh. And I'm curious if you have... A couple of do's and don'ts to make this experience less than terrible. <laughs> wow, so it sounds like he's really looking forward to it.
1: Going into it with the right mindset, I think. this That's a couple big ones. First UFC event, and it's going to be a big UFC event. Yep,
0: three titles on the line over there at T-Mobile Arena.
1: And then your first trip to Las Vegas, which that's that can be kind of a sensory overload just in itself. Yeah, it has. Um the one thing I would want to know is how many days you stay in yeah. Las Vegas. Because that's where I think a lot of people go wrong.
0: I have a hard time doing more than like 48 hours in Vegas. I, I start to hear three that. Three days most. Yeah. start hearing that, uh, the the Kino sound, the, the slot machine sound yeah. in my sleep. Like uh-huh. Ding, 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 ding. Close my eyes, start hearing that. Uh, my number one tip, Mark, would be don't lose your ass. Come... <laughs> With a game plan, depending on what you're into, mm-hmm. come yeah. with a game plan in place that does not involve getting super lucky at the tables, right? Okay. Don't be like, well, after I win a thousand bucks my first night playing blackjack, then I'll smooth I will, sailing. Yeah, after that, everything's everything will be uh, gravy. You know, you know what I like—the fucking uh, dystopian theater. That's on the Vegas Strip, the movie theater. Oh, yeah. Down the alley. Down the alley. By the MGM Grand. Yeah. Yeah. And you go in there and it feels like the world, the rest of the world has ended. And like, I watched the new Blade Runner in that.
1: It's kind of like a... uh bomb shelter feel in it there? It
0: feels like zombies are going to bust through the walls. At so any time your time.
1: advice for if Mark you, is to go from Alabama to a, on a trip to Las Vegas and then go to the movies. If
0: you hit a low point.
1: Okay, you need a pick-me-up? Yes. You if need a you,
0: reset? If you, if you hit the black moment of your trip in Vegas when you hate it and you want to leave so bad you can't stand it, I hope you saved 20 bucks. Go to take two and find whatever the longest movie plan is. Hit up that movie theater, provided it hasn't been bulldozed yet. Just chill out. Eat some popcorn. That's your night right there.
1: And if that doesn't work out, I think the M&M store is right nearby. It is. It's right around the corner. <laughs> uh, my advice is rolling into the UFC event, try not to be hungover. That shit, in Vegas, that shit's going to start at like 2 or 3 in the afternoon, right? Yeah. So... Try not to be so miserably hungover that you're not having a good time. Uh, And pace yourself. Make some plans. Stick to your plans. And just try not to go absolutely nuts so that when you get to the thing that you came for, you're just hating life.
0: Pace yourself is a good overall strategy for Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. It's not a sprint.
1: Also, uh, there's people who are like, hey, we'll give you a free ride in this limo to a strip club. It's a scam, dude. It's a scam. Don't fall for it. I've heard about people who fell for it. That's what I'm saying.
0: All right. We got time for one more. So I want to do this one from Matt Webb who writes, Guys, did you see Bellator 247 in Thackerville this past weekend? The illegal knee Eduardo Dantes landed on Johnny Holton was fucking brutal. Do you think the ref should have let it continue? Discourse. Then he says, P.S. I just made that whole motherfucker up. (laughs) There was no event this past weekend. Sounded legit, though, didn't it? Johnny Holton is an NFL fifth string wide receiver. My question, what the fuck is Bellator doing? I have completely lost interest since they moved to Days Inn. I have no idea when events are or who's fighting, and I follow them on every social media. Does anyone still give a fuck about Bellator? Because I don't give a fuck. Discourse.
1: See, the first time I read this, he kind of had me. Absolutely.
0: Had me for a second. See, I would say, I, I'm going to send a mixed message here, but I would say simultaneously that Bellator might have had the best year in its company history during 2019. And yet, at the same time, when I read this listener mail from Matt Webb, I was like, oh, there was a Bellator last weekend? I mean, I was on vacation, so it could have happened.
1: Let me look up this illegal knee. Yeah. 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 I mean... I guess it's just always kind of believable that there was a Bellator card in Thackerville. I mean, even on weekends where I know that there was a, a Bellator card somewhere else, you could convince me that there was a Bellator card in London and Thackerville yeah. on the same weekend. Yeah,
0: totally possible. Plausible,
1: even. But I agree with you. I think Bellator did have, overall, the best year in company history. I also think that was not a super high bar to clear.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit of a devil's bargain, I think, to move to zone for Bellator because I think that there are a lot of people like Matt Webb who that just completely takes Bellator off their radar. Yeah. Because, you know, in large part, because DAZN seems to be more marketing itself toward boxing fans than MMA fans, doesn't feel like there are a ton outside the most hardcore MMA fans. Doesn't feel like there are a ton of people who have signed on for DeZone. And so if that's where Bellator is putting most of its, highest level content it does make it feel a little bit like an afterthought at the same time i think they're getting paid a decent amount of money to have that content on the zone so i think it's a little bit of a you know a trade off they 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 might have hid their content a little bit by putting it behind this paywall but i think they're making more money for it than they were before and if you're bellator that's probably pretty important yeah make that money
1: at some point you got to make some goddamn money yeah
0: All right, well, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, You know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, go ahead and sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Then it is more or less officially on. Connor McGregor returns to the UFC cage To take on Donald Cerrone at UFC 246 in Las Vegas on January 18th, 2020. An awful lot to discuss regarding the return of the notorious Conor McGregor. I guess I'm going to start here. They announced this shit on Thanksgiving Day. Uh Uh-huh. And I don't know if that's because it was just because the contracts got done on that day and they figured somebody was going to find out about it, so they might as well control the narrative and put it out there themselves. But I will be honest with you, when this news broke on Thanksgiving Day, as, as some other people said on social media, I will agree with them, made me feel like I am in myself involved in an abusive relationship with this sport. Like, we can't have one day. We can't have one day without... Dana White breaking the news of Conor McGregor's return on Thanksgiving itself. Couldn't wait till the next day. Make it a Black Friday special. Had to do it on Thanksgiving.
1: What? See, if you'd wait until the next day, it could be like, hey, breaking news Conor McGregor is coming back. And also, we have sales on a lot of UFC merchandise online, including a UFC-branded Sportula. Did you see the Sportula? I've seen the Sportula, yeah. I got the email about the Sportula. And was I mean, like,
0: the fact that you got that email just lets you know that they know what you like. They got some uh, algorithms at the UFC home office where they're like, there's a list of people that get the Sportula email and you're on it.
1: Apparently, that's what my life has come to. You're a Sportula guy. Did they make this particular fight? I know people talking about... You know, hey, why not somebody else? Why not somebody like Justin Gaethje? Yeah. had this kind of heat going with Justin were, Gaethje. He was calling were, you a bad
0: person. It's not like we were short on possibilities yeah. for Conor McGregor's return. Justin Gaethje, as you said. Dustin Poirier wanted a piece. Uh, we've talked about the Cerrone matchup for a long time. It's always an trilogy. Habib Nurmagomedov. That's it's, silly. It's telling to me that what we landed on was Donald Cerrone. Right. What does that tell
1: you exactly?
0: Well, like we talked about before the fight got announced, it was almost like you had a fork in the road here for Conor McGregor in more ways than one, but let's just say competitively at this point. If you take the Justin Gaethje fork in the road, I think you're saying we want a banger fight, and whoever wins, we will deal with that moving forward. Right. If you take the Donald Cerrone fork in the path, You are essentially saying, let's see if we can't get Conor McGregor a win.
1: Right, and a win over somebody with a name, but also somebody who stylistically it would seem to favor him a little more than some other matchups against basically anybody with a double leg. Uh, And somebody with a name that has endured past the point of being super dangerous anymore. Like Donald Cerrone, everybody knows Donald Cerrone's already he's already done the stuff that you have to do to be a guy, capital G guy in this sport. And nobody's going to take his capital G guy status away from him. Win or lose in this fight, he can lose five or six in a row at this point. He's still going to be Donald Cerrone, fan favorite. We're all going to have a ton of positive memories about Donald Cerrone's time in the cage. Doesn't matter. And yet... He's a big enough name where you're going to make some waves if you go in there and you fight him in a main event somewhere. But also, his recent activity has led you to believe beatable for a guy like Conor McGregor and that you can make some hay out of that. You can be like, hey, look, Conor McGregor came back here. Especially if he goes out there and knocks out Donald Cerrone, look at this—he is back. Yeah,
0: we're Do- back in business. Donald Cerrone comes into this thing on the heels of back-to-back TKO losses—one to Tony Ferguson and one to Justin Gaethje—so high-level guys that he is losing to. At the same time, what are the things that we know about Donald Cerrone? We know he's a slow starter. We know he's 36 years old and has an awful lot of, of wear and tear on the uh on the body there. Mostly of his own making, obviously fighting anybody under the sun, anytime, anywhere, any place. Throughout most of his career,
1: occasionally falling off a mountain or some shit too, just
0: for good measure. And we know, especially in his most recent appearances, he will get punched. So it's, he's not—it's not an opponent that is without risk, which we can talk about in a second. But he seems to f- exactly fit the profile of someone who could go out and get knocked out by Conor McGregor. Because Conor McGregor will be very dangerous early and he will hit you very, very hard. So if you're looking to get somebody out there who is going to be susceptible to an early first round Conor McGregor knockout, Donald Cerrone seems like the guy.
1: And somebody who, while he possesses a good ground game, is probably not going to initiate it. Especially in a fight like this where... He knows what they want out of him. He knows what everybody's expecting here. Donald Cerrone, he would not be able to look himself in the mirror in the hotel room the next morning or the mirror in the RV the next morning if he went out there and, you know, shot a single leg on Conor McGregor in this fight. He's just not going to do it. Yep. He's going to go out there and, and give you that standard bang.
0: Yep. Donald Cerrone's last submission win is over Mike Perry, November of 2000. Perry took him down. First round arm bar. Uh, But we have noted in the past that in a couple of these matchups, Mike Perry specifically, maybe Alexander Hernandez, uh, Cowboy Cerrone has not quite so willingly played the stepping stone. And you know he's coming into this fight with the intention of winning. He's going to come into this fight with the intention of beating uh, Conor McGregor. Any chance? Is there any chance we see the wily Cowboy Cerrone here? Because if this thing were to wind up on the ground, I think Donald Cerrone has a good chance. Or, I
1: mean, I think he has a chance also if you just get into the kind of fight. Like, remember in the first round of that uh, fight with Nate Diaz where Conor McGregor was hitting him some stuff and putting a lot into it and looking for another one of those highlight reel knockout finishes. And Nate Diaz took it and was still standing there. And Donald Cerrone, tough guy. Mm -hmm. I mean, like you said, he will get hit, and he started to show a little bit of the damage more recently. But he still can take a punch, and it's not going to turn his whole world upside down. So I think it's also possible that you find yourself four minutes deep in the first round when slow starter Donald Cerrone gets a chance to get started, and then he starts putting together leg kicks and combinations and things like that, and then maybe Conor McGregor. Is feeling the effects of not doing a whole lot of this fighting stuff recently.
0: Donald Cerrone's last four appearances have been at lightweight. Conor McGregor's last two appearances have been at lightweight. Why are we doing this at welterweight?
1: Possibly so nobody has to try too hard to get down there and make the weight. Yeah. Maybe he's rolling in a little heavy.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I guess if you look at. Gentlemen's agreement? If Don if if Conor McGregor beats Donald Cerrone at a hundred, well, you can do whatever you want with Conor McGregor. If you want to say a victory over Donald Cerrone at 170 pounds somehow makes Conor McGregor the number one contender at lightweight, they'll do that.
1: Yeah, especially if you actually manage to get through and do this Nurmi Tony Ferguson fight that everybody's been asking for, because then after that it'll
0: be kind of a clean slate. But are we trying to keep the Jorge Masvidal fight? Alive and on the game board,
1: possibly. Yeah, I, that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, somebody asked me in my athletic mailbag today about is is Conor McGregor gonna make? Is he gonna come back? And he gonna stick around at welterweight? Is is he gonna think? Well, my path to the title kind of got closed off in emphatic fashion by Khabib Nurmagomedov. Maybe I can make a new path at welterweight. But then you look at the top like three guys at welterweight right now, and they're all nightmare matchups for Conor McGregor. All durable wrestlers who don't get tired, which, Jesus Christ, it's just the exact wrong thing to put him in. So I don't know if anybody's really thinking about how do we get a belt back around Conor McGregor's waist. If we've learned anything recently, it's that The belts don't really matter that much. If you're trying to sell pay-per-views, it's who's in the pay-per-views that you're trying to sell that matters more. So uh, I would think they're probably taking it one at a time here with Conor McGregor. I don't think anybody is going like, all right, we can predict what his next year will look like. Because he could be in prison by the end of that year, for all you know.
0: Right. Which leads us
1: to the next question.
0: That's the elephant in the room, right? And shouldn't really be the elephant in the room because I think you can make the argument that the fact that the UFC is going to go ahead and book conor mcgregor in this january fight while as far as we know he is still under investigation for two separate sexual assaults in ireland he's been named he's been publicly linked to those two investigations by the new york times and that was sort of the last we heard of it uh because of the various ins and outs of how the sexual assault investigation laws work in Ireland, it kind of becomes this impenetrable black box where we don't know what, if anything, is going on with those investigations. We didn't think that that was going to keep the UFC from booking Conor McGregor in a fight. But at the same time, when you do that, shouldn't the fact that the biggest star in mixed martial arts is going to have a fight in the UFC in January while he is under investigation for two sexual assaults sort of be the biggest story in the sport. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, I
1: I don't know if I'm going to say I'm eager to hear, but I will be interested to hear what Dana White has to say about this. And you know what he's going to do the Dana White stuff, where he's going to try to avoid it as much as he can, even if that means just not showing up to stuff, it, just like not making himself available to media members because of it. But it's the question that's got to be asked is, so do you care? That the guys under investigation back home for two different sexual assaults that he allegedly committed one while he was still being investigated for another one, and that the one the other one he committed was allegedly on the same day that he was in court for punching a guy for no reason in a bar. Like, do you care at all? Yeah. Does this stuff matter to you? Because and you can't quite do the thing anymore of being like, hey, it's the New York Times that says he's in it, but there's no official confirmation because. Dana White was already asked about it. Brad Akamoto asked him about it a couple of months ago, and he was like, Well, it's not great. You know, I don't think it's a great thing to be involved in. But now you went ahead and you booked the guy. So are you telling us that you just don't give a shit?
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think that you are right about the lead up to the fight. I think that they will try to control the situations in, you know, where both of these guys are available to the media. Clearly, McGregor's not going to do a bunch of media before this and then you do it at the at press conferences where even if somebody asks and frankly man you got to ask
1: yeah you uh, have to ask
0: uh it's going to be difficult to get any substantive reporting done in those settings cuz you can ask one question maybe you can ask two but it's pretty easy to uh, you know, dodge those questions or answer them with non-answers, and then we're kind of moving on to the next thing. So uh, I think it will be relatively easy for Conor McGregor and the UFC to limit their exposure to that kind of stuff, but it's the biggest story in the sport, and so I think the the even though I feel like MMA oftentimes is too obsessed with the quote unquote MMA media, like this is one where you got to figure out a way to do it. Yeah, because You can't talk about UFC 246 without talking about the fact that the biggest star the sport has ever seen has been linked to two separate sexual assaults in his home country. And as far as we know, he's under investigation for both of them. As far as we know, Conor McGregor could get snatched up off the street on uh, January 17th. Yeah, I mean,
1: and that's the thing, too, is he, he has to address it, too. The UFC has to just why they thought it's perfectly fine to book the guy right now. And I assume we're going to play the old innocent until proven guilty card. But then does that mean like, Hey, we're just going to, we're going to keep booking him fights until the moment he has to go to prison. And we'll, we're just going to tell people we don't care.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe I, we are.
1: I mean, I, and that's the other the part of the question I think is, do you care whether or not he did this? Or are you t- from the promoter taking the approach that Hey, as long as he's available and can sign on the line which is dotted, we are doing the damn fight and making the money.
0: All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to round number two. Now, Ben, as far as I am concerned, there is really only one Are You Fucking Kidding Me? worthy topic this week. But I'm delighted. I will be delighted to find out what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me? this week. Well, first of all, I want to hear the the one Are You Fucking Kidding Me? topic from you. I mean, I just want to know if we have the same one. Let's hear it.
1: I'm, I'm almost sure we don't.
0: Okay. Did you see this stuff about the negotiations for a potential fight between Ronda Rousey and Gina Carano?
1: Okay. Yeah. Saw that one.
0: Uh, let me see if I can find my favorite parts here. Uh, she hadn't fought in If This is from, uh, Simon Samano's story on MMA Junkie from November 27th. Uh, Carano was the first breakthrough star of women's MMA and she appeared on the Ariel Helwani MMA show and explained how Dana White and company approached her about the opportunity for a comeback fight against Rousey, which would have been a super fight at the time. Carano said she verbally agreed to do it for one million, which first of all, you fucking kidding me, but she had one request. Quote, you got to be able to sit on this for about six months, Dana. Since she hadn't fought in a few years, Carano wanted to find... Uh, she wanted time to find a gym and get situated for proper training uh, before news of a potential fight went public. White apparently agreed to oblige. But the next day, Carano said she was taken aback by the UFC boss sharing details with the media. Now here, Ben. Okay. Here is the Are You Fucking Kidding Me? The situation got worse when White sent Carano a text message calling her, quote, a bitch That she didn't believe she was meant for her to receive. When she replied back, White apparently (laughs) doubled down and said it was meant for her. That was the end of the negotiations.
1: Yeah, the way she described this is from her appearance on the Ariel Helwani show, right? Where she uh, described it like the text said something like, this bitch is jerking us around or something. And she replied saying, I don't think that was meant for me. And he replied, oh, no, yes, it was. Which? Come on.
0: Are you fucking kidding, fucking me? kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? It's, I mean, that's it. Are you fucking kidding me?
1: You know what? I'm a, I'm going to say what was my original Are you fucking kidding? I'm going to wrap it up into my just saying stuff because no this you're right. This is this is the are you fucking kidding me for this
0: one. That is going to do it for round number 1. We'll be right back with round number 2.
1: Chad, I hesitate to even say it out loud, but maybe it's all happening. You remember how after met Nurmagomedov, when his last fight, and I was like, man, you gotta book him against Tony Ferguson now, I don't care how many times you tried it before, it's the only fight to make, and yet I'm terribly afraid that Tony Ferguson is somehow gonna get screwed again. This time, at least for now, the MMA gods have heard my pleas. Khabib Nurmagomedov, Tony Ferguson, scheduled to do it April 18th, 2020 in Brooklyn. It's finally, allegedly, supposedly going to happen. You know what makes me feel a little more confident about this one? Is the extremely long lead time we have before this fight. Because, yeah, like somebody is going to get hurt or sick or, or fucked up badly between now and then. But we still have time for that to happen and for everybody to regroup in time to still have the fight. I mean it's gonna be a long five months, right? Oh well, you gotta just put it out of your mind. I think I think we gotta talk about it now and then just act like you know, like when you're drunk ordering things off of Amazon and you you get all excited about it in that moment, and then you sober up, you forget all about it until it shows up on your doorstep, and then it's a happy surprise. That's the way we got to look at this.
0: Essentially put our hopes and dreams in suspended animation.
1: And then if it doesn't show up, if the packet or the package gets stolen off your doorstep, you're none the wiser. You're just like, "Okay. I don't know where that that money went, but uh everything's fine. I've lost nothing."
0: I think that you are right though to say that like this gives us some time. Yeah. For Habib to get suspended for something, for Tony Ferguson to Hurt himself doing curls on top of a bozu ball, whatever those things are called. And maybe they still get right by April and we can still do the fight. At the same time, you know that there is not a single self-respecting, shit-eating, wild person out there in the MMA sphere who believes that this is going to happen. Who dares to dream, Ben, that this is actually going to happen. Well, We've just been hurt so many times. How many times have we booked this? Four I think previous time, fifth time this maybe. Is try number five. Fifth time is the charm, as the old saying yeah. goes.
1: Lucky number five.
0: Were you surprised to see Habib Nurmagomedov open as a more than two to one? He's minus two fifty on these opening odds from Bet Online. Uh, are you surprised that it, that it, that it's that he's almost three to one? We've, I mean, because we have talked about Tony Ferguson as like one of the uh, one of the dream matchups for Habib, maybe one of the guys whose crazy fighting style could like push him a little bit, could give him some trouble. He is uh, a fairly comfortable favorite here.
1: That does surprise me a little bit,
0: just because I
1: feel like with everything Tony Ferguson brings to the table, he has an opportunity to throw some different stuff at Habib. And I just—it's hard for me to look and see where you've seen Nurmagomedov against anybody like this.
0: Yeah, well, there almost is nobody like. Yeah, us, that's one of one the fun thing. things about it. Uh, what do you do here if you're if you're T. Ferg? What is the? How do you fight Habib Nurmagomedov? Because barrel roll, a barrel roll. We learned emphatically. We learned conclusively at UFC 242 in September when we watched Dustin Poirier go to Abu Dhabi and try to fight Habib Nurmagomedov. You basically can't back up. You put one foot outside. The octagon-shaped warning track right. that is inside the cage on the floor of the canvas. You put you back up past that thing and you're dead.
1: Right. But you know what's really useful if you find yourself feeling backed into a
0: corner? Don't say barrel roll.
1: Barrel roll. <laughs> barrel roll right the fuck out of there, man. Okay. Just like that's, that's my entire camp if I'm Tony Ferguson is you feel yourself. You, you feel you're getting pushed back. Into that warning track, just barrel roll right out of there, reset. Just frustrate the hell out of him, man. You think how many... Cartwheel? How do cartwheel how, work? How many uh, of Khabib's training partners do you think are out there showing him the barrel roll in practice every day? Maybe they're them, scared to. Maybe they can train the bear to he do will, that. He will think it's disrespectful and he will smash your face in
0: sparring. They don't want to do it. Speaking of face smashing... Okay. We've seen the work that Tony Ferguson has been able to put in, the things that he has been able to do against, you know, three or four of his most recent opponents. If there is a question about Habib, obviously it's that he can get hurt with punches on the feet, and we don't quite know how he would react to a lot of damage. We just frankly haven't seen him in positions where he would take a lot of damage. He's been too dominant on the feet. If Tony Ferguson roughnecks him a little bit, cartwheels out of trouble, uses those elbows to uh, turn his face into into hamburger, we will find out some stuff about Habib Nurmagomedov that we don't know at this point.
1: Well, you know, we've seen moments where when he gets caught with a clean shot, his reaction to it is, I don't know if I would say troubling, but... Shows you that there's an opportunity there.
0: He has a little Brock Lesnar in him. A little bit. And it's not quite as noticeable. As I've said before, if you watch that uh, Brock Lesnar-Shane Carwin fight, obviously getting hit by Shane Carwin is a thing that no human mortal wants to have happen, but like, there's a point in that when Shane Carwin hits Brock Lesnar with an uppercut, and Brock Lesnar jumps back like a cat that got a bucket of water thrown on him. (laughs) Herbie Nurmagomedov doesn't necessarily do that. But he makes it clear he would rather not.
1: Yeah, that he wants to get away and think about some things for a second here. And then reset, resume his pressure wrestling campaign. So, I mean, it's still going to be the same test. That's one of the things that makes this an interesting fight for me. Is You always know what Khabib is going to do. And you kind of never know what Tony Ferguson is going to do. He might do anything. Might do absolutely anything in there, and that's what makes it really fun—is to see how those styles clash up. One of the things interesting, I was just reading now about uh, Tony Ferguson took a little longer to sign on for this fight, you know, and uh, Khabib and Ali Abdelaziz on there on Twitter telling him sign the contract, hurry up, all that kind of stuff. And he was talking—I think he was on Ariel Helwani's show today—talking about how the negotiations. He said the the manner that they did it really wasn't the way I wanted to go so it made the week kind of unpleasant uh and seemed like maybe booking this so far in advance was not his idea this is a quote from Tony Ferguson you're going to have to ask the UFC why the fight's in April Khabib's still on his world tour he's doing things kissing babies and doing all that fun stuff who cares you know who I am you know I'm ready for February I was ready to take another opponent if they were going to fucking pull some crazy stuff but everything worked out we've got until April we got plenty of time to train we got plenty of time to not get hurt to be very smart trust our teams and give the fans exactly what they fucking want plenty of time to not get hurt uh huh
0: Okay. Yeah, I guess so. Just
1: can we can we do this? Can we hide the yoga balls? Can we just look like, what if Tony Ferguson goes in to get his workout in and there's no more like ropes and chains and yoga balls and it's shit. Just like an that?
0: empty room with some dumbbells yeah, in it.
1: Yeah, and like his trainer's like, Oh man, what happened? We must have got robbed, Tony. <laughs> this sucks, man. I I guess we gotta make the best of it though, bro. Can we do that?
0: There's a I was watching a video on the internet the other day of okay, a guy good. doing burpees. And and when he when he gets up from the burpees, he's essentially elevating himself off the ground and landing in a push up position on top of four forty five pound plates, weightlifting plates that are stood up on their edges. On their edges? Yeah, they're on they're up they're standing up, they're upright. Okay in wagon wheel position why this guy is doing burpees and he's jumping up and he's landing on them like again a cat so i you can take all the equipment you want to he's out gonna of there. find a way crazy will find a way all right tony ferguson will find a way fair enough that's gonna do it for round number two we'll be right back round number three during the break, you invited me to look at the official poster for UFC on ESPN 7, which features the uh, heavyweight fight between Alistair Overeem and Yarzinho. Nailed it. Is that how you say it? You told me it was Nair before we started recording.
1: You asked me if it was Nair, and I found that hilarious. No, I asked you if it was Yair. I thought you said Nair, and I said, sarcastically, yeah, it's Nair. His name is Nair.
0: Okay, well, you tricked me into mispronouncing <laughs> it at the beginning of this episode. Let's just go with Beegy Boy. Okay. Because that's his nickname. The uh, official poster for UFC on ESPN 7 features Alistair Overeem and the Beegy Boy facing off with each other here in what is clearly one of the most stock and standard cut-and-paste jobs that you will see on a poster. What you pointed out to me is that the primary design feature of this poster is that it it displays the words heavyweight bout. The biggest words on the poster says simply heavyweight bout above both guys head here and their names much smaller above that. And that's that's really uh, demonstrative here, isn't it? That's indicative of what we're dealing with. They have a heavyweight bout this weekend. And that's what they want you to focus on.
1: They can't expect you to know all the people's names or care about why they're fighting at this particular time. They just want you to know a couple big guys are going to try to hurt each other. And doesn't that sound fun? I mean, I'm into it. See? It works. That's what they... See... this is, there's not a whole lot of stuff that I respect about uh, the way the USC goes about a lot of its graphic design stuff, especially when it comes to posters, it seems to just keep doing the same shit over and over again, and kind of a resistance to taking risks or trying anything too inventive or adventurous, but they, they're not afraid to take the subtext and just make it the thing, just be like, alright, here let's just put it right in front of your face and see if that works. It's Big heavy, guys.
0: It's a heavyweight bout. Yep. It's a biggie boy. How would you like to see a heavyweight bout? Against Alistair Overeem. We have one. Yerzinho Rosenstruck, nailed it, is and 9-0. Comes into this thing off the heels of his quick, fast 29-second knockout of Andre Arlovsky at UFC 244 that you and I watched at Buffalo Wild Wings yeah. while we were out there trying the BMF Wings.
1: Still never forget the look on Big Dan Le- Mirgliata's face when he stopped this one, and he just kind of shook his head like, this is a bad idea.
0: Three straight UFC stoppages for the Beegy Boy, Junior Albini, Alan Crowder, and Arlovsky. All of his fights, except one, his split decision win against Andrei Kovalev at Ryzen 10, uh, have been first or second round stoppages. Are we trying to make something out of the BG Boy by slotting him against Alistair Overeem, who's won two fights in a row, Sergei Pavlovich and Alexio Linick, but previous to that, in fights against Curtis Blades, and of course, the highlight reel KO at the hands of Francis Ngannou at UFC 218, and a fight against Steve Miocic at UFC 203, has shown us, if nothing else, he can get knocked out. And...
1: Right now, if you look at the trajectory that Rosenstruck is on, I mean, you mentioned like wins over Junior Albini and Alan Crowder. In retrospect, those aren't really impressing too many people these days. But you knock out Andrei Olovsky, a formerly great, now-aging fighter who can get knocked out, and then you go maybe knock out Alistair Overeem, a formerly great-aging fighter who can get knocked out. I mean, you've made a certain kind of path for yourself, But maybe a really effective way to to come on strong in your first year in the UFC as a heavyweight. Like, that's, you couldn't have this kind of career or this kind of debut year at lightweight. It just, it doesn't really
0: happen that way. Yeah, three wins all in 2009. I did not notice that.
1: It's kind of amazing. 2019. Yeah. Ah,
0: 2019. If those wins were in 2009, that would have been 10 years ago. Yes. Uh, He would have had a long break in in the the action just to fight four
1: times in a year as a USC heavyweight is pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. I mean the the guy the number of guys who uh would have four wins this year is going to be pretty short. Like roster wide. Yeah. So uh, doing that at heavyweight is really something. I had not noticed that. That's uh, a, that's a meteoric rise. The have you looked at the personal life section
1: of uh your boy Biggie Boys?
0: Wikipedia page? Well, I'm looking at it right now, and I see in bold letters, false arrest on suspicion of smuggling drugs. Yeah. It's not quite a Conor uh, McGregor-style section on uh, controversies and run-ins with the law, but uh, it is interesting. The way it's written—this is
1: some real Wikipedia bullshit here—the way it's written— Raises more questions for me than it answers. It reads, in August 2014, Rosenstruck was arrested and detained by Royal Netherlands Meerschaus on suspicion of smuggling drugs along with seven other Surinamese in Netherlands who the group claimed to attend a kickboxing event. You still with me? (laughs) Barely. After 14 to 16 months of detention... Okay. Rosenstruck was released as the Dutch authority found seven members of the group had swallowed balls of drugs, but Rosenstruck, and he was the only kickboxer among the group. That took fourteen to sixteen months. The for the, the balls s- of drugs like to work their way through or the what? sentence
0: structure. It's just you couldn't make it up if you you <laughs> couldn't you couldn't write a Wikipedia entry. A fake one with this kind of sentence structure.
1: And if you could, why would you?
0: After 14 to 16 months of detention, Rosenstruck was released as the Dutch authority found seven members of the group had swallowed balls of drugs but Rosenstruck. I guess that means he didn't do it? Yeah. And he was the only kickboxer among the group. So he
1: was the only one who really had a reason to be there.
0: And And maybe in the Netherlands being a kickboxer is a get-out-of-jail-free card.
1: I would Wait, think also, and you're a
0: kickboxer? You hit the streets, <laughs> yeah, my
1: man. Yeah, you don't have the drugs that we're accusing you of smuggling and you're a kickboxer. Well, first of all, let's see you check a, a leg kick and then we'll also check to see if you even have the drugs that we've arrested you for. So that's what's going on
0: this you wanna, weekend. You want to do just saying stuff? Yeah. All right, let's do just saying stuff and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what's your just saying stuff?
1: Well, I know we're all thinking about the UFC finally returning after a few weeks off in a BNDC doing a heavyweight fight, from what I've heard. But let's not lose sight, Chad, that there's a pay-per-view event this weekend. Oh. Do tell. It's kind of a big pay-per-view event going down right there on the border in Hidalgo, Texas. Okay. So we're going to Jacob start, Christopher Tito Ortiz. We're going to
0: start this thing with Tito and end it with Tito. I see what you're doing. That's you're right. We're making a Tito sandwich. And
1: I just, I was afraid that maybe we had forgotten about this. So I want to draw your attention back to it. I wrote a thing about Combate Americas, had a long conversation with Campbell McLaren, who is an, an interesting guy to talk to.
0: Just, I don't think there is such a thing as a short
1: conversation. Nope, no, there is not. Uh, I want us to remember that not only. Is this a fight for the future of this country? That's right. According to Campbell McLaren, he has hopes that one or both of the Trump boys will be in attendance. Great, And possibly Andrew Yang, who he said through his people have uh, expressed an interest in attending this event. Now, see, I believe that the Yang gang might show up. Yang gang. I believe that. In the House. Uh, But let's also not forget... As part of a side wager, a little gentleman's wager. Tito Ortiz putting up his UFC belt. Just taking that out of the old trophy case. Uh, Alberto Del Rio putting on his WWE belt. And the the side bet to the side bet. Tito Ortiz telling Alberto Del Rio, If you make it to the second round, I'll donate $50,000 to any charity you choose. I'm just saying... Maybe side bets upon side bets is the way to promote this thing. Because <laughs> now I'm curious. Because not only, I mean, making it to the second round against Tito Ortiz, like an aged Tito Ortiz, not impossible. That's That feels like a doable thing. And then you could really get creative with which charity you choose that he has to give $50,000 to. Also, I like the underlying thing that Tito Ortiz would just hate to have to give $50,000 right. to
0: charity. He's going to try hard, super hard to not have to give that money to <laughs> yeah. charity. Uh, I'm just saying. That's kind of fun. Just saying. The thing with the belts. Yeah? I guess that whoever wins those belts will have a conversation piece at his home. But it's going to be kind of a long conversation. Right? Let's say this thing plays out according to chalk and Tito Ortiz wins. And he beats Alberto Del Rio, and he gets the WWE title, and he takes it to his house, and he puts it in the trophy case along with all of his other awards and accolades. People are going to come over, and they'll be like, "Tito, I didn't know you were in WWE. And then he's going to have to be like, I wasn't. Here's what happened. I fought Alberto Del Rio in Combate Americas. We made a side bet, and we put our other belts up. I mean, come on.
1: Well, maybe it just exposes for Tito who's coming over to his house who's not a real Tito fan because they didn't buy the pay-per-view and watch it for themselves. I
0: guess that's true. They have no idea what the future is. They're kind of, the of telling was. on
1: themselves, as Chad Dundas might say. You,
0: I guess they are. All right, Ben, this week I'm just saying it seems like Francis Ngannou has settled on his next preferred opponent, and it's Alexander Volkov. Have you seen this? Okay. They've been going back and forth on Twitter. Francis Ngannou, what's your schedule for January 18th look like? He wants to get something on the books. you got to
1: get something on the books, yeah.
0: Let me offer you a free trip to the most entertaining city in the world, Las Vegas. Hashtag UFC 246. To which Alexander Volkov uh, counters, how about Paris in March? Or are you too afraid to fall in front of your audience? To which Francis Ngannou counters, Paris in March or tomorrow in a phone booth, I will fight you anywhere. Just sign the damn contract this time. Call Dana White ASAP. I'm just saying this, this kind of makes me sad, this whole thing. Oh, no. It just makes me a little sad. I thought we were going to get a big fight for Francis Ngannou. We were gonna, he was going to get right back in contention, if not fight for the title. He was talking a big game about it, and the fact that we have now apparently settled to trade in barbs with Alexander Volkov feels to me like we've, we've adjusted our expectations. Yeah. Set our sights a little bit lower than where we initially thought we were going to start. I'm just saying.
1: I'm just saying, if you do come to the most entertaining city, consider going to see a movie. <laughs> it's Chad his advice.
0: I'm just saying, man, you like you want to see Frozen Two a, is out. Yeah, I've seen it. I saw it when we were in Portland. <laughs> Have lots of thoughts. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Oh no. That's gonna do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Remember, we'll be back on Wednesday for the Patreon live chat. That one's available to all levels of patrons. Uh, we are going to record the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross movie club on, on Wednesday. And then we'll be back again on Friday for the Co Main Event Podcast Patreon Power Hour available to five and $10 patrons. We told you at the beginning of the show, I'm going to tell you again right now, get on there, go to patreon.com slash Co Main Event and sign up, join the team. And then maybe we won't have to hear all these Tito Ortiz quotes for the rest of the month.
1: CM me Patreon Pledge Drive week,
0: month, December. As for right now, though, we are done, we are through, we are out. I've also, I've often felt like you were
1: put on this earth to be a tool.
0: I'm just saying, it it sounds like he's going to say something else. Like, I was put on this earth to be a tool of vengeance. And so, I will extract that vengeance with mighty fury. I appreciate that you are willing to think the best. (laughs) I appreciate your offer. Is he just Yogi, Yogi Berra in us at this point? There's no chance. There's no chance he knows who Yogi Berra is. Yeah, but is he doing a similar thing? Is he is he being ridiculous on purpose at this point? I get. You'd be younger nice to, as I age. it's would nice to believe that.